Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. This sermon series, from now all the way through Easter, is called The Way, and it involves an examination of Jesus' teachings from his Sermon on the Mount, as found in the Gospel of Matthew. The importance behind this sermon series is that Jesus is revising many of the laws that we find in the Old Testament. It's important for our understanding as Christians to understand where he comes from and how he interprets those laws. I hope you enjoy this series. Our first reading today is from that exciting book of Deuteronomy. And we, we are going to be reading from chapter 14, uh, 22 to 23, and then again, 28 and 29. Listen for God's word. Set apart a tithe of all the yield of your seed that is brought in yearly from the field. In the presence of the Lord your God, in the place that God will choose as a dwelling for his name, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, your wine, and your oil, as well as the firstlings of your herd and flock, so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. Every third year, you, <clears throat> you shall bring out the full tithe of your produce for that year and store it within your towns. <clears throat> the Levites, because they have no allotment or inheritance with you, as well as the resident aliens, the orphans, and the widows in your towns, may come and eat their fill, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work that you undertake. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading comes to us from Matthew 6, chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, 19 through 21, and 24. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Praise be to God. Word of, this is the word of the Lord. So we are continuing with the current sermon series, The Way. Alex has finally started to trust Judy and I enough that we get to preach in his sermon series. <laughs> However, I find it very convenient that the one week that Alex gives me to preach because he's on vacation is about money. Pastors don't normally jump at the opportunity to preach about money. It's a little bit of a difficult topic. However, 
as a pastor, it is my obligation to preach on the word of God. And if we look in the Bible, we see that where there are 500 verses on prayer and less than 500 verses on faith, there are over 2,000 verses about money. If we look at Jesus' ministry, about half of his parables involve money. And about 15% of everything he taught was on money. That is quite a lot of money talk. And money isn't just one of Jesus' favorite topics. Our society loves to talk about money. Don't believe me? Sing along if you know it. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I want money. (laughs) That's what I want. Or she works hard for her money. So hard for it, honey. Or how about if I were a rich man? All day long I'd biddy biddy bum if I were a wealthy man. And of course, we can't talk about money and music without the song. Money, 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 money. (laughs) Music and movies, television shows and magazines, they all talk about money a lot. We are indoctrinated at a very young age to save our money, to work for our money, to treasure our money, and yet we never seem to have enough money. We spend our days calculating how much we have, how much we need, how much we want, how much other people have need or want. We have a fear of scarcity, a fear that there isn't enough. We don't have enough money yet to be totally set. I have to save for a car, save for a wedding, save for a house, save for children, save for college for those children, save for retirement, and of course, save for the unexpected life events that are sure to come. With all of this in our minds, it's no wonder why we have an innate fear of scarcity. But this is where Deuteronomy meets us and challenges us. The first thing that it says is to take a tithe of our crops and wine and cattle and take it to the temple and eat it in front of God. That seems kind of weird to me. (laughs) You take a portion, let's say 10% of what you have, and you go and you eat it in the temple. Why? Why go to the temple? Why not just stay home? Well, two things are important here. One, it allows the whole thing to become an event. You take your whole family, your entire household, and you go eat and drink together. I have read that these yearly feasts were more like a celebration than anything else, and eating a meal and celebrating with your family is never a waste of time. It's putting into perspective what's really important. And secondly, it brings God back into focus. It allowed them to thank God for their harvest, to thank God for their blessings, and to remember God during times of feast, not just times of famine. The second thing Deuteronomy says is that every three years, you should take your tithe and put it in storage in your own hometown. 
Do this for the Levites, but also for the aliens or foreigners, the widows and the orphans, those who don't have the means to support themselves. This made more sense to me than the first one did. But then I thought, do the Levites and the needy among the Israelites only get fed every three years? Because that would not sustain them. So I did some research. The rest of the verse says that on your yearly trek, don't ignore the needs of any Levite you find along the way. And also Leviticus says not to reap the harvest of your land to the corner of your field, but leave that for, guess who, the poor and the needy or the alien or stranger among you. So it looks like the Israelites were all about helping the poor and the needy and the alien throughout the year. For the most part, we are not farmers or shepherds anymore. Our livelihoods are not grains and wine and cattle. We directly earn money. So if we were to take this verse and transplant it into our current culture, we would say, give a 10% tithe yearly to God, and then every three years, take that tithe and put it in a local charity. So that is the basic law that we are dealing with when we move to the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus' thoughts on money. In this one short chapter, Jesus outlines three different lessons on money. Don't be a loud giver. Invest in your future. And you cannot serve both God and money. Jesus really knew how to put a lot of meat into a little bit of space. So let's unpack this a bit. But I'm actually going to flip the script because I think the logic flows from three to one better for my sermon. The third thing Jesus said is you can't serve God and money. Money is amazing. Honestly, have you ever thought about it? It's paper that used to represent actual gold or silver, but it doesn't anymore. It's just paper that we all agree is worth something. If tomorrow we all agreed that pebbles would be our currency, then tomorrow we would be trading rocks. If you don't believe me on this, that money is only valuable because of group thinking, look up the story of Bitcoin where someone introduced an online currency that had no intrinsic value, but because people started to attribute value to it, it became very, very valuable. Again, it is essentially nothing. Just internet code. There is nothing tangible that you hold. And yet one Bitcoin is currently today valued over $1,000. This is why money is so amazing to me. We made it. We control it. And yet, we often treat it like our ruler more than we realize. We rely upon it. We work for it. In many ways, we serve it. Money makes us feel comfortable when we have it. I dare say that there are many people who would feel more comfortable knowing money is on their side than God. If we go too far down the rabbit hole, we start to make money for money's sake, to have more, because we think having more will make us more comfortable or more able or happier. 
We don't see how we have become servants of money. Money is a tool. Now, I don't mean that in the insulting way, but in the actual, like, a hammer is a tool kind of way. Money is a tool for us to use. Money is a tool for us to get our needs met. Money is a tool to show what's important to us. Money is a tool to help one another. I'm going to say something that I've heard a lot of investment brokers in movies say. Don't work for your money. Make your money work for you. I say that to you today, not in the make your money make more money kind of way, but instead in the make your money make what you find important, important. Instead of investing in this fund or that fund, invest in your future, invest in your calling, your passion. When you start treating money as the tool it is and not our overlord that commands our lives, then you start to truly invest in your future, and that is the second thing that Jesus said. Invest in your future. Jesus tells us to not store up earthly treasures, but to store up treasures in heaven. And this begs the question, what is a heavenly treasure? We know what earthly treasures are. Things, stuff, silver, platinum, gold, diamonds, rubies. You know the stuff pirates pirate for. But also TVs and cars, houses and laptops, fancy clothes, purses, shoes. I think you get the point, but what are heavenly treasures. Are there some fly heaven shoes that I should be saving up for? Is there an Apple store in heaven where their iPads get unlimited high-speed Wi-Fi? Well, the phrase treasures in heaven was a common Jewish image for eschatological reward or rewards after death. Matthew doesn't spell out what it is because it's throughout the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, in Psalms, Isaiah, and in Proverbs. The phrase, according to the biblical Jewish dictionary, means to lay up your earthly treasures in heaven. That is, to put them into the hands of God in heaven, and this is done by liberally communication to the poor. I think that Jesus talks about this even further in Matthew 25. Storing up your treasures in heaven is through clothing the naked, feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, visiting the sick, visiting those in prison. In other words, helping those who need help. By doing this, we build up treasures in heaven. See, heaven doesn't care about things or money. Heaven cares about people. Heavenly treasures are people. You, me, Joe down the street. To build up treasures in heaven is to build up your fellow human. To invest in your future, your true future, your hopefully distant future, your afterlife future, you need to invest in one another. This is how we build treasures in heaven. This is how we invest in our future. Do not store up earthly treasures, but store up treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That last line is one of the truest things I have ever heard. Where you invest your money, that is where your heart is. Now by far, most of my money goes to my rent. 
But I think that we need to take the basic human needs out of the equation for a moment. So food, water, and shelter, these things are needed for life. So if I, count, if I don't count those right now, where does the majority of my money go? Well, it goes where my heart is most, my fiancé. <laughs> now, don't mishear me. This is not some cliche woman taking all of the man's money and going shopping nonsense. I'm saying that with what income I have left after rent, after utilities, car payments, and food, I want to spend on my fiancé. I want to take her out to eat, to buy her flowers just because, to go to the movies, to go bowling, to get massages. My money is there because my heart is there. And this is true for all of us. If you are passionate about music, where does your money go? To music. If you're passionate about books, where does your money go? To books. When your heart is invested in something, your wallet will follow. So what Jesus is saying is get your heart invested in the kingdom. Get your heart invested in God. Get your heart invested in one another. Get your heart invested in your heavenly future. You cannot serve God in wealth. Invest in your future. And finally, or firstly, technically, don't be a loud giver. It seems that in Jesus' time, people would strike up a band and sound trumpets before they gave their alms. I'm hoping this was metaphorical, but if it wasn't, it's really a good way to get some attention. Deuteronomy laid out a law to tithe a portion of all you had, and what did people have back then? Grain, wine, cattle. So that's what they tithed. But then thousands of years later, money became the main source of tithing in the temple. And Jesus noticed that some people would come in weighed down with coins. You see, they didn't have paper money yet. They were weighed down with coins, jingling and jangling, and making a spectacle out of throwing all of those jingling and jangling coins into the church's tin bucket. They hadn't quite moved away from the purpose of the law. They're still technically fulfilling the law of giving, but they made it a display, and it's supposed to be routine. Giving to the needy is something that's expected. It's predictable. When something is routine, you don't make a big deal out of it. You just do it. Can you imagine if we did this with routine things in our lives? <clears throat> I made toast. <laughs> I tied my shoes. <laughs> I remembered to put the toilet seat down. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the point of the law and the point Jesus is trying to get them back to is giving is something that is expected. It's not fanfare. It's not something to blow the trumpet about. It's routine. It's every day. It's mundane. Do it without making a big deal about it because that's what you're supposed to be doing anyway. In church nowadays, and specifically here, 
we tend to not have that much of an issue with this. We pass the plates through every pew so no one has to get up and come to the front in front of everyone to give their money. We don't have metal collection buckets and all metal coins so that when you give a lot, it sounds like it's raining pennies from heaven. We even have the option for you to give online so if you don't put anything in the plate at all, it doesn't matter because you could be giving online. And the point is the giving, not the being seen giving. So it seems to be easier to not be a loud giver these days. But I think that as time has passed, it has actually become much more difficult. Not because of how we give in church, but because our whole lives, for the most part, are constantly being shared and shown on social media. I grew up in a time just before the internet exploded. When I was a kid, the way you found out about your neighbor's life was you went and saw your neighbor. I know it's shocking. And for many of you, I know you lived your lives pre-internet days as well, but the change has happened, and it happened fast, and it has literally changed the world. Today we have Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and other social media outlets that keep us continuously updated about the lives of others. And here's where we start to lose control of our piety. If Jesus is saying, don't practice your piety before others, and just to skip ahead in the sermon series a little bit, Jesus also says, don't pray before others, and if you're fasting, don't look somber before others. Jesus was all about practicing religion and not being seen. But if that is what Jesus is saying, then what does that say about our religious posts, our pics of Jesus quotes, or our prayers that only people who truly love God are going to share. Or more to the point of giving, what does it say about our ice bucket challenges? Are we practicing our piety in front of others? Even if we post something with good intentions to raise awareness for a topic or to challenge others' worldviews, are we receiving our reward through the praises or likes of others? This isn't something that I have the answer to for every post. This is something that we have to answer for ourselves. When we post on social media specifically about things like the mission trip we just took or the donation we just gave to Goodwill, we have to figure out the motivation behind it. If there's even a doubt in your mind as to the why then I think the easy answer is to just not post on Instagram or Snapchat or Facebook about how much you gave to charity or how much you gave to the man experiencing homelessness that you just met. We are called to not be loud givers. But not all giving is coins and not all loudness is trumpets. Don't worry about being seen giving because, again, it's what we're supposed to be doing. It's routine, nothing to garner attention for. All of these things hang together. Use your money as a tool to invest in what you find important, which is the kingdom of God or other people. So use your money to invest in people. But when you do it, 
Don't be all, look at me, look at me about it. Just do it, because it's what you should be doing anyway. One of my favorite lines that I use all the time in prayers, and you might have heard it once or twice, is continue to bless us so that we may be a blessing to others. So that we may be a blessing to others. God blesses us not so that we can bury our blessings or keep them to ourselves, but so that we can spread those blessings out further. Let us do so now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.